Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, welcome to uh, Word of Life Church on a Sunday in high summer. It's high summer. On the church calendar today is the feast day of the nativity of John the Baptist. That also means it's six months from Christmas. <laughs> that's, how, that's how that works. Uh, so welcome in person, online. I, uh, I really was blessed in our time of worship together today. I mean, I always am. But today I just, I don't know, I just sensed how wonderful it was. I loved it. I love that moment where we're, where we're worshiping with with the Lord's Prayer. You know, the words are 2,000 years old. But you know, we got a slide guitar going and Corey's going crazy on the drums and it's like, man, that's what I believe in right there. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's what Word of Life is. And this, so we have this resurrection icon. Now this has, this has all the elements of a Byzantine icon from 17 centuries ago, but it's not done in Byzantine style. It's done in contemporary style. So that's, that's what Word of Life is about. That's what may be unique, notable about us. We believe it when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasury things old and things new. And so we like the liturgy, we like the prayers, we like the lectionary, and we like rock and roll. Can I get a witness? Finding God in the music comes up in August. All right. I want to return to a portion of the gospel reading that we heard during our time of worship. And I'm beginning in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Jesus says, so do not fear them. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Today I want to preach on falling sparrows, numbered hairs, and the dread of Gehenna. Whew, that's a title for you. So Matthew chapter 10, which is where we are, the whole chapter is about the mission of the 12 apostles. So it opens up that chapter with Jesus naming his 12 apostles And then he sends them on a preaching and healing mission. They're to go throughout all the towns and villages of Galilee. They are to heal the sick. They are to cast out demons. They are to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. They're to say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. It's coming. It's breaking in. It's happening now. Don't miss it. Be a part of it. Now, in Jesus commissioning his 12 apostles to go on this preaching and healing mission, he tells them, now, look, I'm sending you out as uh, 
lambs among the wolves, sheep among wolves. So, you know, be wise as serpents would be harmless as doves. So Jesus is telling them, you're not going to be necessarily always well received by everyone. I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. So be smart about it, but be as harmless as a dove. Be, be, be smart like a serpent, but be harmless as a dove. And if they persecute you in one city, then just, just leave, go to the next city, but don't fight back. Uh, Matthew 10, 23, Jesus says to them, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. All right, so this is not talking about the second coming. That wouldn't make sense. I can promise you that the gospel has been taken to all the towns of Israel by now. That's, I can assure you that. What Jesus is saying is, you're not going to finish this mission of getting through all of the towns of Israel until the Son of Man, that is the Messiah, arrives in Jerusalem to establish his kingdom. To make it even more clear, you could say Jesus is essentially just saying, just keep moving, preach the gospel. If they don't receive you, move on to the next town because you won't get done going through the towns before I arrive in Jerusalem to establish the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, part of the mission of the 12 is to cast out demons. They haven't done this yet, but Jesus has been doing this and Jesus is, is notable for this. Uh, and casting out demons is a particular sign of the arrival of the kingdom of God, Jesus says. If by the spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So, so that's a particular sign that when spiritual entities of evil are driven out and, and lose their grip upon the lives of human beings, it's a sign that the kingdom of God is launching an offensive into the devil's territory. It's, it's a sign that we might say Aslan is on the move because people are being, being set free from, from darkness and from demons. But Jesus warns the 12 to expect the same accusation that has been hurled at him. So Jesus has been casting out demons, but he tells the 12, well, they're going to say the same thing about you that they've said about me. That is that we're casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul. Beelzebul. What the heck? Beelzebul. It means Lord of the flies. Beelzebul was a Canaanite deity that then came to be understood in, in Jewish thinking as the prince of demons. So it's kind of like, kind of like Satan, but not exactly the same. So people have been saying, well, yeah, that Jesus, yeah, he can cast out demons. That's just because he's in cahoots with Beelzebul. With the, and Jesus says, now they're going to say the same thing about you. You're, they're going to say that. But when that happens, now we're back to our text. So do not fear them. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. All right, this is a this is an interesting passage and a bit strange, perhaps a bit confusing. In this passage, Jesus tells his disciples three times. One, two, three. Three times he says, fear not. But then one time he tells them to fear and who they should fear. In other words, in this passage, Jesus says, do not fear those who say you serve Beelzebul. People are going to say that. You're going to be casting out demons because, oh, you're, you're just, you know, in league with Beelzebul. Don't be afraid of them. The truth will come out. Their libel against you will not stand ultimately. So don't be afraid of that. And then Jesus, Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Well, that's a little harder, but I get it. Jesus is saying, don't, don't, don't be afraid of those that can only kill the body because they can't touch your soul. That's not what to be afraid of. Jesus says, in fact, just don't fear because God is compassionate and cares for you. You, you can buy two sparrows for a penny. I don't know why you'd want to buy a sparrow, but you can get two for a penny. And yet not one of these, these tiny little sparrows, not one of them, not one of them falls to the ground apart from the loving notice of your father. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches over me. See? And Jesus said, you know what? The father is so doting that he bothers to count the hairs of your head. He counts them. And admittedly, you know, for some it's easier than others. You know, some are several thousand and then there's like Homer Simpson, you know, one, two. All right, got it, two. You guys don't watch The Simpsons? It's two, two hairs. Yeah. But in the middle of these three fear knots, don't be afraid of those that malign you. Don't be afraid of those that attack you. In fact, don't be afraid at all because God takes care of sparrows and numbers your hair. Everything's going to be all right. In the middle of those three fear knots, Jesus says to fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. What the heck? What does that mean? And who is Jesus talking about? That's what we're going to look at. We'll start with Gehenna. Gehenna. Translated in a lot of English Bibles as hell. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Yeah, but, but, but hell, the, the Norse word hell, H-E-L, does not really help us at all understand what the word actually is, which is Gehenna. I know, I know this is in Greek, but there they're using a Hebrew word, Gehenna, which simply means the Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom is a, is a valley southwest of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem surrounded by valleys on several sides. Kidron Valley, Typerean Valley, Hinnom Valley. This is on the southwest side. And it has a dark history. The Valley of Hinnom in the ancient Canaanite days was the site of Molech worship, which was a particularly vile uh, idol that required 
child sacrifice. And so children were sacrificed to Molech in the valley of Hinnom. Then later, uh, you know, to defile that area so that nothing like that would continue, once, once, once the Israelites had conquered, they turned it into the city dump. So it was no longer going to be a, a site of cultic worship involving child sacrifice. Now it's a city dump. And, you know, a dump. I don't know. You ever been to like an old school dump? What do you say? I mean, what's that a dump? Well, they got these fires going all the time. Because, you know, you're burning the, the trash and all of that. And then because, because of the nature of it, that's where the maggots are. So what do you say of a place like that? Well, the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. Then Jeremiah, in the 6th century B.C., warns Jerusalem, you guys keep saying, you know, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and nothing bad can happen to us because God's on our side, and yet you're just practicing injustice constantly. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be destroyed. The Babylonians are going to come and destroy this city and, and turn the whole city into Gehenna where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. That's Jeremiah 7. And it happened, right? It happened in 586. Then six centuries later, Jesus is warning Jerusalem using the same language. He's saying, you have, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. This is what Jeremiah said. And you're on your way to Gehenna. It's going to happen again. Yet again, the city's going to be destroyed and the whole city is going to go down to that Gehenna where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. So Jesus, oh, by the way, I should give a little epilogue here. So, so the kind of the imagery of, of hell is born in the valley of Hinnom, Gehenna. But that's not the end of the story. Gehenna is actually... I go to Gehenna all the time. I mean, when I'm in Jerusalem. Gehenna is today Gabenhenim Park. It's a lovely park with water fountains and park benches and lovely lawns and green trees and they have concerts there in the summer. It's, it's a beautiful place. So it's a picture of, of true Apocatastasis, that is the restoration of all things. The place that at one time was the very image of hell has now turned into a lovely park. And so I always, when, when we're there, I always say, would you, like, uh, would you like to go to hell? I'll take you to hell. Literal, I'll take you, literally, I'll take you to hell and back. And they're like, okay. And I take them to Gabenhem Park. So in this passage, Jesus says that we are to fear the one who can bring us into total Destruction, the total destruction of Gehenna. But who is that? Who is Jesus talking about? All right, keep in mind that the context of Matthew 10 is the mission of the 12 and their proclamation of the kingdom of God demonstrated by casting out demons and the Beelzebul accusation that will arise from that. That's the context. Now, the prevailing expectation for how the kingdom of God would come in Jesus' day was that it would come through a holy war. That's what everybody believed. I mean everybody. Every, that's what they believed. That there was coming salvation through a holy war. 
And they described it generally like this, that the sons of light, the Israelites, would go to war against the sons of darkness, pagan Gentiles. And in the holy war, they would triumph and they would destroy the sons of darkness who are the pagan Gentiles, and that's how liberation would come. That's what everybody anticipates. And the, and the leader of this holy war will be the Messiah. But Jesus arrives on the scene and he does not endorse that expectation for how the kingdom of God comes and it makes him unique. When I say everybody expected it to come that way, I think John the Baptist did. I think the 12 disciples did. I think Jesus' own mother thought that's how the kingdom of God was gonna come. But Jesus does not endorse their expectation of the kingdom of God arriving via a holy war. In fact, Jesus saw the desire for a holy war as a work of the Satan. He saw that as a work of the Satan to destroy Israel. So Jesus taught his followers something different, something radical. He taught them to love their enemies. Well, that's, that's a far cry from launching a holy war against them. You are to, to love your, because Jesus understood that, and of course the, their national enemy was the Romans. He understood that the Romans were actually slaves too. That there were dark powers operating behind all of this and that they could not be free by just going out and killing what they deemed to be the bad guys. That both Jews and Gentiles were in bondage in some way to the devil and that there was no way they could be liberated that way. So Jesus rejected the long tradition of holy war. It was a long tradition and it's what people believed in, but Jesus rejects it because it's not the way of God. It is in fact the way of the devil. The true war to be waged was not against pagan Gentiles, but against the Satan. Okay, this is what uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says about that. Jesus, in his teaching, called Israel to repent of her militaristic nationalism. Jesus was offering a different way of liberation, a way which affirmed the humanness of the national enemy as well as the destiny of Israel the destiny of Israel as the bringer of light to the world, not as the one who would crush the world with military zeal. So Jesus affirms that Israel is the chosen nation, the chosen people, that salvation will come through Israel and that Israel is to be the light of the nations, but you don't be the light by waging a holy war. That's colluding with the darkness. That just keeps... You, you might rearrange the pieces on the chessboard, but the devil still stays in charge. And so Jesus knew that that is not the way that the kingdom of God and the salvation of Israel would come because that's just following the devil. Jesus knew that if Israel followed the devil in the way of militaristic nationalism, it would lead them to hell. That is, it would lead them to Gehenna again. Jerusalem completely destroyed. So a Satan-inspired holy war against Rome would lead to Gehenna. That is the destruction of both body and soul. 
So who is this dreaded one who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna? Well, here's a hint. It's not the father. It's not the father. It is, in fact, the Satan. Satan is the destroyer of souls, not the father. Are you just like in stunned silence? Mm -hmm. It is not the father who is the destroyer of souls. It is the Satan who is the destroyer of souls. I remember the first time I saw this with the help of Nicholas Thomas Wright. 17 years ago, there's, there's a picture of me. That's, a, that's, that's in my little library at home reading Jesus and the victory of God. In my opinion, if you're into New Testament scholarship, that's still the gold standard. I don't think there's anyone better than that. Jesus and the victory of God. I read it for the first time 17 years ago. I just, I took that page, that's a little selfie. I took it because I just knew that my life was changing right there. Might as well mark the moment. My life is changing right now. And I, to this day, I love that book. And I read, a particular, I read a particular passage that is pertinent to what we're talking about today as we talk about falling sparrows, numbered hair, and the dread of Gehenna. N.T. Wright, in Jesus and the Victory of God, on pages 454 and then continued on 455, writes, Some have seen this one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna as the father. But this is unrealistic. Israel's God is the creator and sustainer, one who can be lovingly trusted in all circumstances, not the one who waits with a large stick to beat anyone who gets out of line. Rather, here we have a redefinition of the battle in terms of the identification of the real enemy. The one who can kill the body alone is Rome, the imagined enemy. Who then is the real enemy? Surely not Israel's own God. The real enemy is the accuser, the Satan. Oh, well, that's a horse of a different color. So with that improved perspective on this passage, that's why we, that's why we appreciate the very best of the New Testament scholars. They help us. With this improved perspective, let's look at our text again. Jesus says, so do not fear them. First of all, that first one, do not fear those who say, well, you're just working for the devil. You're just serving Beelzebub. Don't fear that. Don't be afraid of that. You know, the truth will come out. Yeah, they'll have their moment. They'll malign you. They'll say terrible things about you. Just don't, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Don't fear them. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Okay, those are enemies like Roman soldiers, which... Granted, you know, when they come at you with their swords, there might be a moment of trepidation. But, but Jesus is saying, ultimately, that's not what you need to be afraid of. Because they can't touch your soul. They can only kill the body. Rather, fear the one, the Satan, who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. So what Jesus is saying is that indeed we should have a holy dread about following the ways of the devil because the ways of the devil always lead to both physical and spiritual destruction of Gehenna. That if you follow the way of the devil, it's going to be your undoing ultimately. 
You know, there may be moments. I mean, that's why it's enticing. You think, oh, I see how, how this will work. This is going to serve my advantage. And so I, I will get in line with the program of violently destroying my enemy so that I can have liberation. And Jesus says, no, be afraid of that way. Because ultimately, that's going to destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. The ways of militaristic nationalism and holy war must always be fearfully avoided because they are always the highway to hell. They always lead to, I mean, come on, war is hell, right? Jesus would confirm that. War is hell. And the highway that leads there is the highway to hell because war always destroys bodies and souls. But concerning the father, look what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. Who do we not fear? We do not fear the father. You are of more value than many sparrows. And somebody says, well, but yeah, but what about the fear of God? Yeah, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But it's not the perfection of love. The fear of God is to take seriously Jesus' warning about following the way of sin and the way of the devil. I mean, the fear of God is to take Jesus seriously and he says, don't go down that road. Wide is the way and easy is the path that leads to destruction. A lot of people go that way, but don't go that way. Instead, choose the narrow way. It's more difficult. It's more demanding. It's the way, of fact, of loving your enemy. It's not easy, but it's the way that leads to life. The easy way, just follow the crowd and we'll just all get on board with a holy war against our enemy because that's the way we, a lot of people are going to, that's the easy way to go because you, you can just go with the flow and hate your enemy and believe that God's on your side, but that is the highway to hell. That leads to death and destruction. Jesus says, choose the narrow way, my way. In fact, Jesus identifies that the, the, the narrow way is the golden rule because right, those verses are right next to each other there. In Matthew 7, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Choose the narrow way, the way of love. The way of love. Jesus calls us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And the way that Jesus defines neighbor, it extends even to enemy. Even to enemy. So the biblical test case for love of God is love of neighbor. Biblical test case of love of Neighbor's love of enemy. Well, this, yeah, I know this is hard. This is the narrow way. It's a difficult way, but it's possible. It's possible. I remember years, 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 years ago, my friend Edgar Chacon from Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica, and he was visiting here, and, and I had him preach, and his English wasn't very good. And he kept preaching, and he was saying, he kept saying, Christian life, no, is easy. Christian life is possible. And man, I, have, I don't know how many times I've thought that and said that to Perry and I'll just look at Perry and go, Christian life, no, is easy. Christian life is possible. So Jesus, the fear of the Lord is to know that and to take that seriously and say, you know what? The easy way leads to destruction. I take Jesus seriously. I'm going to choose the more difficult way, the narrow way, the way that not as many walk because it is the way that leads to life. 
we have a certain kind of holy fear because if instead of following Jesus on the paths of peace, we follow the devil on the road to war, we're headed for a dreadful place that will bring untold damage to body and soul. This is to be feared. But the Father himself loves you and cares for you. And the Father will never visit damage upon your soul. Every creature, every creature is an object of God's love and concern. Even the tiny sparrow, even the tiny sparrow falling from the sky does not escape the Father's loving notice. But you, you occupy a special place in the heart of God. For you are a child of God. You're not a sparrow, you're a child of God. The fallen sparrow is noticed by the Father. But you're not a sparrow, you're a child of God. You're a son of God, you're a daughter of God. He dotes over you, he counts the hairs of your head. He watches with concern over you and that's why Jesus says, so don't be afraid. You're a child of God, don't be afraid, amen. Stand up with me. And here in what we can call the Father's house, let's come to the table today. And let's receive the gracious gift of life offered to us in the bread and the wine, a participation in the body and blood of Christ that gives us also not only forgiveness, but allows us to share in and participate in the very life of Jesus Christ. This is what makes the Christian life possible, is that the very life of Jesus is flowing through us so that together we really can walk the narrow way that leads to life. Amen? Join with me now in first confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins and receiving the Lord's pardon. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, 
You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Amen.